John Humphrey Noyes and his Bible Communists, The Structure, by B.B. Warfield. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. It was in May 1846, so Noyce tells us, that entire communism was put into practice, and the association, which had enjoyed hitherto only a progressively increasing community in goods, entered upon the enjoyment also of a community of women, and so became really a common family. From this time every man in the association, it consisted then of from thirty to forty members, but was destined to grow to over three hundred, looked on every woman in it as his wife, and every woman looked on every man as her husband. When he wished to set this arrangement over against the legality of the exclusive marriage of the world, which he affirmed to be abrogated in the kingdom of God, Noise called it free love. When he wished, on the other hand, to defend it against the charge of licentiousness, he called it pantogamy, and insisted that it was as true a marriage as the exclusive marriage of the world itself, only complex marriage instead of selfish individual marriage. The enormity of the arrangement will perhaps be best apprehended when we remind ourselves that the community was intended to include, and did in point of fact, from the beginning include men and women united to one another by the ties of the closest kinship. A historian of the community, having in mind apparently only the law of promiscuity which reigned in it, cries out in shocked amazement that men of apparently reputable standing could be found, as they were found, to take their wives and daughters with them into such an arrangement. We do not touch the bottom of this degradation, however, until we recall that under this engagement the father at once himself became the husband of his daughters, and his daughters the wives of their father. Children growing up in the community were, though they might be brother and sister, the prospective husbands and wives of one another, as well as of their own parents. Noyes himself took into the community with him from its first formation at Putney not only his brother, who at once became therefore sharer with him in all his marital relations, but two sisters who became at once therefore the wives of both himself and his brother. We do not affirm that marital rights were ever actually exercised in such cases. Of that we know and can know nothing. Respect for humanity leads us to suppose it incredible that it could have been brought to that pass, but it is of the utmost importance that we should fully realize that this is what Noyes's pantogamy meant, that this pantogamy formed the very foundation stone of his whole system, and was put fully into practice, that he was constant in proclaiming it and strict in enforcing it, and that he encouraged its free practice by teaching along with it that the sexual act was of no more significance than any other token of universal affection. Noise is insistent in pointing out that the freedom of intercourse inaugurated in his community was not absolutely unlimited in practice, and he appears to fancy that it may on this account escape the stigma of licentiousness and even perhaps of promiscuity. The limitations were, however, entirely of a prudential character, and had as one of their main purposes precisely to secure and maintain the practice of promiscuity. It is just here that the contrariety between his practice and Fourier's fancies, which he much and rightly urged in other relations, comes most distinctly to view. Both insisted on promiscuity in the sexual relation, but with Fourier this promiscuity was a means to an end, the complete indulgence of passion. He sought, as Ralph Waldo Emerson puts it, 
the greatest amount of kissing that the human constitution admitted with noise on the other hand it was not the amount of kissing which was the main concern but its distribution it was precisely promiscuity which was his end and to secure that end everything else had to give way for example fourier expected the young people to pair among themselves of course purely spontaneously if inclination led elsewhere inclination naturally was to have its way and he expected these young pairs to remain faithful to one another at least during the ardour of their first love of course again only because natural inclination would so determine it noise apparently did not doubt that fourier was right in supposing that this would be the natural course of things but there was nothing which he more sternly repressed than any tendency among young or old to monopolize one another as he would say when any such tendency manifested itself he required each of those concerned to pair with someone else we learn that much suffering was caused by the enforcement of this measure it had no other end than the maintenance of promiscuity it was his policy also to repress all direct courtship pairing was arranged through the intermediation of third parties regularly the older female members of the community being called upon to perform this service and it was a principle with noise to prevent ordinarily the pairing of the young with the young fourier suggests that it might happen now and then that a youth would take a fancy to and obtain the favour of a lady of mature age indeed as a j booth tells us he has recorded a thrilling incident to illustrate how a youth in all the ardour of virgin passion may be irresistibly attracted by the personal charms of a lady more than one hundred years old noise on principle required the young of both sexes to pair with the old and discouraged the pairing of the young with the young thus at least on paper the sexual relations were in noise's scheme governed strictly by a principle there was no spontaneity about it promiscuity in these relations was required and secured the ultimate end of course was the safety of the community which would be endangered by the formation of monopolizing attachments the end of the safety of the community determined another of noise's regulations the universal practice through the community of his method of birth control the care and expense of children would be a burden to the community which would form a menace to its stability afterwards when the community had passed through its tentative stage the breeding of children we use this phraseology advisedly was undertaken on the most scientific principles not all the members of the community were permitted to produce children certain ones were selected for breeding purposes and paired with close attention to their mutual characteristics noise calls this stirper culture and wrote a pamphlet in the early seventies to explain its importance and the modes of its application previous to about two years and a half ago he says in his pamphlet we refrained from the usual rate of child-bearing for several reasons financial and otherwise since that time we have made an attempt to produce the usual number of offspring to which people in the middle classes are able to afford judicious moral and spiritual care with the advantage of a liberal education in this attempt twenty-four men and twenty women have been engaged selected from among those who have most thoroughly practised our social theory in one matter at least connected with the restrictions placed on themselves by his followers in the practice of promiscuity noise is far from candid he wishes to obtain credit for them for confining their practice within the bounds of the community and on this ground he invites us to look upon the compact which bound the community together as a true marriage 
a complex marriage, no doubt, but nonetheless a marriage, and the community so bound together as a true family. Our communities, he says, are families as distinctly bounded and separated from promiscuous society as ordinary households. The bounding and separating of these communities from promiscuous society differed from the bounding and separating of families from that society, however, in being merely de facto, and, according to Noyes's most fervent preaching, temporary, affording only samples of what was soon to become universal and preparing the way to it. The promiscuity practised in these communities was therefore in principle universal and was expected soon to become in fact universal. It is therefore thoroughly disingenuous to point to its momentary confinement to the communities as if that were of its essence, and on that ground to cloak the unbridled lasciviousness of this doctrine under such names as complex marriage and complex families. In point of fact, the fundamental doctrine which Noyes taught in this relation was pure, unbounded promiscuity, and all adaptations of this doctrine to community life were afterthoughts and were conceived by him as temporary expedients. What he discovered in the spring of 1834 was that in the kingdom of heaven there was no marriage or giving in marriage whatever. What he declared in 1845 was that the abolishment of worldly restrictions to sexual intercourse is involved in the anti-legality of the gospel, because such restrictions are incompatible with the state of perfect freedom towards which Paul's gospel of grace without law leads. What he still teaches in 1870 is that, as there is no intrinsic difference between property in persons and property in things, the community of goods inaugurated after Pentecost carries with it community of women. The same spirit which abolished exclusiveness in regard to money, he says, would abolish, if circumstances allowed full scope to it, exclusiveness in regard to women and children. Paul expressly places property in women and property in goods in the same category, and speaks of them together as ready to be abolished by the advent of the kingdom of heaven. The restriction of this promiscuity to the community was to noise an evil, an evil to be overcome, and to the overcoming of which he looked forward with fervent hope. And it was not the restriction of its practice within the communities which made these communities attractive to him, but the practice of it there. He arraigns the law of marriage because, as he says, it gives to sexual appetite only a scanty and monotonous allowance, and so produces the natural vices of poverty, contraction of taste, and stinginess or jealousy. He praises a community home in which each is married to all, and where love is honoured and cultivated, precisely because it will be as much more attractive than an ordinary home as the community outnumbers a pair, which, put brutally, is just to say that the sexual satisfaction increases with numbers. Fourier himself, to whom confessedly the free gratification of passion was everything, could not have expressed his own principle with more frankness. Although this iniquity was put into practice in 1846, there seems to have been at first something tentative and veiled in the practice of it. Noyes's own expression is that it was begun cautiously. Even when done in a corner, however, such a thing is not easy to hide, and it became increasingly evident as time went on that the people of Putney were, in a general way, aware of what was being done, and were quite disinclined to permit it to be done among them. As the antagonism rose, Noise and his followers braced themselves to meet it. The line taken was the bold one of asserting for themselves immediate divine guidance and sanction. They apparently hoped thus to overcome opposition by the dread authority of deity itself, 
and they sank to the mountebank device of invoking pretended miracles in support of their assertion the crisis drew on in the midsummer of eighteen forty seven on the evening of the first of june we are told by one of their number their leader startled his assembled disciples with the question is not now the time for us to commence the testimony that the kingdom of god has come to proclaim boldly that god in his character as deliverer lawgiver and judge has come to this town and in this association the significance of this question was twofold what had been done more or less in secret was now to be proclaimed on the housetop and the coming of the kingdom of god was to be asserted because in noise's teaching it was only in the kingdom of god that such things were sanctioned woe unto him he had cried in the battle-axe letter who abolishes the law of the apostasy before he stands in the holiness of the resurrection the answer returned by his followers to this question was a unanimous affirmation it was seen that a new and further confession of truth was necessary that it was the next thing before them in the course of progress to which they had been called it was unanimously adopted therefore as the confession and testimony of the believers assembled that the kingdom of heaven had come this however was mere assertion and the only proof of the assertion was that those who made it were living in sexual promiscuity which was to them an evident concomitant of the entrance into the world of the new divine order but which could scarcely be counted upon to impress the outside world in the same way hence the appeal to miracles the star case was the healing of harriet a hall a chronic invalid by the combined ministrations of noise and mary cragen on june twenty second the miracles it will be noted did not tarry when they were needed the patient says noise was completely bedridden and almost blind lying in near total darkness from this state he declares she was raised instantly by the laying on of hands and by the word of command into strength which enabled her to walk to face the sun and ride miles without inconvenience and with excessive pleasure the cure of mrs harriet a hall he asserts is as unimpeachable as any of the miracles of the primitive church on the contrary it is as obvious a sham as any of the thousands and thousands of sham miracles which disgrace the annals of the church and not of the church only but of every popular religious movement throughout the world differing only from other sham miracles in bearing on its brow the brand of fraud as many of them do not the part taken by mary cragen in this miracle and others is so barefacedly that of a play-actor that one wonders that so shrewd a man as noise permitted the details to be made public other miracles followed in rapid succession and not content even with these others still alleged to have been wrought previously were now brought forward and made public but it was all in vain the people were obdurate and having refused to believe noise and his followers would not believe though many rose from their beds vigorous action was begun to rid the town of the scandal indignation meetings were held the courts were set in motion civil suits for damages were brought the grand jury found a true bill and in the indictment thus made noise was arraigned on specific charges of adultery and held for trial on heavy bail the result was happily the destruction of the obnoxious community at putney the suspension of the publication of the community's journal the spiritual magazine was compelled immunity in the courts was bought only at heavy cost the civil suits were satisfied by money payments out of court before the criminal case came on noise broke bail and fled beyond the jurisdiction of the court the community itself began to scatter and in a year or so it was gone 
it was not at all within the plans of the leaders of the community however because they had been driven out of putney to pass out of existence in the height of the storm at putney noise was busily preparing for the future not content with calling heaven to bear witness to him in manifest miracles he was as diligently engaged during this fateful midsummer of eighteen forty seven in strengthening his interests among the children of men he turned in his need to those new york perfectionists from whom he had decisively separated himself and whose ways he had never wearied of declaring not his ways nor did he turn in vain he was treated by them with marked deference from the outset and in the end he obtained from them the means for redintegrating his enterprise under better stars than ever already on july third we find him drawing up in an elaborate document the testimony of the parties concerned in his star miracle at the request and in presence of the notorious john b foote for his private use from which it seems that foote was at the time in putney and in the issue of the spiritual magazine for july fifteen announcement was made of the holding of two conventions of perfectionists in central new york in the approaching september called says hines for promoting unity and cooperation between the new york and putney believers these conventions were called by john b foote and john corwin and met the earlier at lairdsville oneida county new york on september three under the presidency of jonathan burt and the latter at genoa cayuga county under the presidency of foote noise made them the occasion of a five weeks tour of electioneering character through the region and of course was present at both conventions as the official representative of one of the parties whose cooperation it was their avowed purpose to promote as a result a series of resolutions drafted by a committee of which noise was chairman was passed at the later convention without a dissenting vote these resolutions ran one resolved that we will devote ourselves exclusively to the establishment of the kingdom of god and as that kingdom includes and provides for all interests religious political social and physical that we will not join or cooperate with any other association two resolved that as the kingdom of god is to have an external manifestation and as that manifestation must be in some form of association we will acquaint ourselves with the principles of heavenly association and train ourselves to conformity to them as fast as possible three resolved that one of the leading principles of heavenly association is the renunciation of exclusive claim to private property four resolved that it is expedient immediately to take measures for forming a heavenly association in central new york five resolved that william h cook be authorized on our behalf to visit the perfectionists throughout the state for the purpose of stirring up their minds in relation to association and ascertaining the amount of men and means that are in readiness for the enterprise by these remarkable resolutions the perfectionists of central new york not only committed themselves to communism in principle but to the immediate establishment of a communistic association and set measures on foot to carry out this declared purpose we are told further that on the passage of the resolutions with great fervour the strongest men of the convention came forward and pledged their lives their fortunes and their sacred honour to the enterprise proposed in the resolutions and for the establishment of the kingdom of god in the world noise's appeal to men had been more successful than his appeal to god he had secured from the new york perfectionists action which looked to the mere transference of his establishment from putney to new york and that is indeed precisely what happened but not with the smoothness and facility which appeared likely on a mere surface view of things
for there was one thing on which noise had not been quite candid with his new york brethren and allusion to which is entirely absent from the set of resolutions whose passage he had secured from them this was his doctrine of sexual promiscuity and the relation in which it stood in his view to the possible formation of a communistic society such as he had now committed them to as they became aware of these things their zeal in cooperating with him in the foundation of such a society vanished a series of resolutions introduced by otis sanford of clinton new york having the design of expressing sympathy and cooperation with noise was passed by the earlier the lairdsville conference with cordial unanimity in these entire approbation was expressed of the general course of the press at putney and cordial cooperation with the putney brethren in the circulation of their publications was promised but noise is compelled to add to his report of this resolution at the close of the meetings otis sanford in consequence of discovering that i was the author of the battle axe letter which he had never seen before retracted his assent to these resolutions this is but a straw showing how the wind was veering around the sentiments of the brethren in point of fact underwent nothing less than a revulsion which wrecked the whole great project which had been entered upon there were those among them who had been involved in the indecencies of spiritual wifehood but complete sexual promiscuity and that as the very foundation stone of their society of saints was more than with all their antinomian tendencies they could stomach as an eye-witness of what was happening writes as soon as they heard of cross-fellowship and the fact that their chosen apostle was under bonds for the charge of adultery they drew decisively back and thus it was brought about that though by his visit to new york noise provided for the removal of his community to that state it was not with the support of the new york perfectionists at large we must suppose that it was in very deep disappointment that noise returned to putney certainly he returned to very great trouble the people were inexorable his community was dispersed the criminal suit against him was pending there was no promise in the outlook on the twenty sixth of november he felt constrained to leave putney forever taking up his residence in new york city meanwhile there were a few men in central new york who being like-minded with him were not content to permit the resolutions passed at the september conventions to fall wholly to the ground they could do nothing so grandiose as was contemplated in those resolutions but they were resolved to establish a community in a small way on some such lines these men jonathan burt joseph c ackley daniel p nash united their interests and invited noise to join them this he did about the first of february eighteen forty eight and at once took the lead in the enterprise and indeed as was his wont became the dictator the members of the old putney community joined him and by the first of march the oneida community was fully organized in giving an account in his american socialisms of the origins of the community he wishes to trace them back alternately to impulses derived from the great revivals of eighteen thirty one and the experiments at brook farm thus the oneida community he says really issued from a conjunction between the revivalism of orthodoxy and the socialism of unitarianism then he descends to details in eighteen forty six after the fire at brook farm and when fourierism was manifestly passing away the little church at putney began cautiously to experiment in communism in the fall of eighteen forty seven when brook farm was breaking up the putney community was also breaking up but in the agonies not of death but of birth 
Putney conservatism expelled it and a perfectionist community just begun at Oneida under the influence of the Putney school received it. After a quarter of a century of successful development, the exodus could be described in this poetical language. It was anything but poetry at the time. Except the hospitable welcome of Jonathan Burt, there was little that was inviting in the untamed woods and streams of Oneida Creek, and the first years of the community's residence were there comfortless and hard enough, but also on that very account bracing and disciplining. At first, says Hines, the community buildings at Oneida consisted of two small-frame dwellings, a log hut, and an old sawmill once owned by the Indians. It was a dozen years before their members got beyond sleeping in garrets and outhouses. Though the means brought in by the members enabled them to live tolerably well at first, they soon learned to content themselves with the homeliest fare. The community, however, grew rapidly in members and efficiency and ultimately in wealth. Beginning in the spring of 1848 with about 40 members, by the first of the next year it had 89, which it doubled in the course of the year 1849. On February 20, 1851, there were 205 members, in 1875, 298, and in 1878, 306. Nearly $108,000 were brought in by the incoming members during the first nine years, of which something more than 40,000 were sunk in living leaving the community on January 1st, 1857, with a capital of $67,000. Now, however, economic success began, and the industries of the community became profitable. These were mainly concentrated in the business of the canning of fruits and vegetables, and the manufacture of silk and steel traps. It is not necessary to dwell on these things. Information on the industrial side of the life of the community is easily accessible and is indeed in the possession of all. Only enough is required to be said to secure that it should be well understood on the one hand that the Oneida community became eminently successful in the economic and industrial aspects, and on the other that the development of the community on this side represents a new phase of noises activities peculiar to the Oneida period although of course community of goods was a dogma with him from the beginning of his speculations and he had put it into practice at putney as there was no necessity for the development of large industrial efficiency before the removal to oneida so there was no marked progress made toward it there is no evidence that noise had specially engaged himself with the problems of economic and industrial life prior to his settlement at oneida at oneida however he was faced with hard conditions and after a period of partial failure conquered them there is an appearance that perhaps, as a result of this necessary engrossment with these problems, the centre of his interests now changed, and that economic matters began to loom in his mind as intrinsically more important than the matters to which he had hitherto given himself with most predilection. Religion, sex, industry. It was along this line of advance that his mind seems to have moved, and as he appears to have come to value religion chiefly as a sanction to sexual promiscuity, so he appears to have come in the end to value sexual promiscuity mainly as a means to economic efficiency. Our meaning in saying this is not that he looked on his religious theories as the necessary foundation of his sexual theory, and on his sexual theory as the necessary foundation of any successful communism. That goes without saying. That was the very essence of his theorizing, and no doubt, from the practical point of view also, he was right. 
decent people could scarcely have been brought to follow his sexual practice save under the influence of some such religious fanaticism as he imbued them with and very certainly no communism can stand save on the ruins of the institution of marriage what we are saying however is nearly the opposite of this it is that noise as he appears at putney to have lost interest in his religious fanaticism in his absorption of sexualism so appears at oneida to have to some extent lost interest in his sexualism in his absorption in his industrialism necessary as each nevertheless was to the basis of the other revivalist perfectionist sensualist economist that seems to be the line of his development not that he ever formally abandoned either his fantastic religious theories or his gross sexual doctrines but that an industrial communism having been created on their foundation and now actually existing he seems to have come to fancy that it might continue to exist and to function without their aid in this he was certainly mistaken as the event proved it was precisely through its drawing back from these religious absurdities and sexual abominations that the community crumbled it lasted just a generation from eighteen forty eight to eighteen eighty and that it was just a generation that it lasted was no accident what it means is that it lasted so long as those were at the helm who had taken up the enterprise under the impulse of a strong fanaticism and that it fell to pieces when the guidance came into the hands of a new generation which could not believe the things by which its fathers had lived w p garrison writing in the nation of september fourth eighteen seventy nine as the process of its dissolution was beginning remarks with great weight that the split in regard to sexual relations has come with the second generation was only what was to be expected nothing but a chinese wall and the adoption of a conventional stringency would have prevented it nothing is surer than that the oneida system of complex marriage was a reversion to barbarism to ways repudiated by the race in its efforts to rise above the promiscuous intercourse of the brutes all the attention it deserved at the hands of social philosophers was due to this fact and to one other that it was justified by an appeal to supernatural sanctions what is most surprising in mr noyes's message to the community in his declaration that he did not regard the hitherto existing sexual arrangements as essential parts of their profession as christian communists he had been saying this it appears for a year past but ten years ago in his work on american socialisms he still held to the doctrine laid down in his bible communism in eighteen forty eight that restoration of true relations between the sexes is a matter second in importance only to the reconciliation of man and god and that the sin system the marriage system the work system are all one and must be abolished together mr noyes has we conceive outlived his headship his successor is the self-appointed head of the party which has become dissatisfied with complex marriage in other words there is no real successor a revolution has taken place the community as it was has suffered a mutilation which practically destroys its identity and will by the coming historian be added to the list of extinct utopias what was happening in the community could not easily be better described noise was growing old and losing his hold on the community murmurings and disputings were heard on every side the younger members had become sceptical both of noise's religious system and of his theory of sexual relationship and restive under the control exercised over them it was clear that a change of some sort was imperative noise sought it in the first instance by retiring from the headship of the community and putting a younger and more vigorous man in his place 
The man he chose for his successor was not, unnaturally, his own son, Theodore R. Noyes, and he may have hoped the more from the choice, because this son was a leader of the disaffected party, certainly at least with reference to the religious aspects of it. The experiment was not successful, and Noyes was compelled to withdraw the appointment. The disaffection which had been smouldering was now in flames. There were some, no doubt, who were ready to acquiesce in any settlement commanded to them by their tried leader. But there were now two embittered parties shut up together within the bonds of this family. The one could see nothing but a sceptic in the man who had dared to develop the fruits of the Spirit of Christ in any other way than through their prescribed methods of professing unqualified belief in some of the doctrines of traditional Christianity. The other was made up of enthusiastic supporters of the younger noise, and some of these, offended by his enforced withdrawal from the leadership, themselves withdrew from the family. At this period a new factor entered the situation, external opposition. The tardily begun and tardily culminating protest of the people of the state of New York against the toleration in their midst of such a moral offence as the Oneida community constituted had now at last reached the point of effective action, the soul of this protest had been for a number of years john w mears then a professor at hamilton college and the credit of bringing it through many difficulties to a decisive issue belongs mainly to him we may date the beginnings of the end doubtless from the appointment by the synod of central new york in eighteen seventy three of a committee charged with the duty of conferring with other religious bodies and determining on what measures were feasible and the end itself was foreshadowed when a conference called by j w mears f d huntington e o haven a f beard and e g thurber met on february fourteenth eighteen seventy nine in the university building at syracuse new york for the purpose as it is brusquely reported in the nation of breaking up the oneida community this brusque language does not unfairly represent the temper of the convention the oneida community was recognized as intolerable and every sort of difficulty had been raised to dealing with it decisively it sheltered itself under the constantly repeated assertion that no law existed under which it could be proceeded against as the lawyers put it you cannot prove adultery without first proving marriage and the oneida people were not generally married sentimental objections to proceeding against them were also diligently advanced the oneida people were good citizens and good businessmen and good neighbours and good employers of labour they were a model of order and sobriety and diligence why disturb them their morality well said the nation the oneida theory of the relation of the sexes is odious no doubt but it is the product of a crack-brained biblical exegesis and is sincerely held and the sheriff can hardly kill it all this was brushed aside by the convention morality it said is worth as much to a community as business ability and if no law exists by which an end can be put to such flagrant immorality as flaunts itself in the oneida community why the sooner such a law is made the better so it appointed a committee to see if new legislation was really needed to meet the case and if so to set steps on foot to secure it that committee met in june enlarged its numbers and very obviously got to business it had become clear to every eye that the oneida community was doomed this had already become so clear to noise himself before the conference of february nineteen met that he approached that conference with a document which he caused to be distributed amongst its members in which he practically promised that the community would adjust itself to any special legislation the conference might secure the oneida community should be compared with the shakers he pleaded not the mormons its members had always been peaceable subjects of civil authority no seditious act had been charged upon them they had never proposed to carry out their peculiar principles in defiance of the laws 
or of the public opinion of their neighbours and if special legislation should be obtained unfavourable to them they would still be faithful to their record of submission to the powers that be possibly the conference took heart of grace from such a promise at any rate its representatives proceeded on their way with increased activity noises fear in february had increased by june when the conference's committee met to a certain foreboding of evil and that with reference to his own person as well as with reference to the community he fled beyond the jurisdiction of the new york courts and took up his residence in canada where he resided for the rest of his life from this safe retreat he immediately august twenty five eighteen seventy nine proposed to the community which he had left behind him a complete surrender of its obnoxious practices i need hardly remind the community he wrote that we have always claimed freedom of conscience to change our social practices and have repeatedly offered to abandon the offensive part of our system of communism if so required by public opinion we have lately pledged ourselves in our publications to loyally obey any new legislation which may be instituted against us many of you will remember that i have frequently said within the last year that i did not consider our present social arrangements an essential part of our profession as christian communists and that we should probably have to recede from them sooner or later i think the time has come for us to act on these principles of freedom and offer for your consideration the following modifications of our practical platform the modifications thus intimated he then propounds as follows i propose one that we give up the practice of complex marriages not as renouncing belief in the principles and prospective finality of that institution but in deference to the public sentiment which is evidently rising against it two that we place ourselves not on the platform of the shakers on the one hand nor of the world on the other but on paul's platform which allows marriage but prefers celibacy to carry out this change it will be necessary first of all that we should go into a new and earnest study of the seventh chapter of one corinthians in which paul fully defines his position and also that of the lord jesus christ in regard to the sexual relations proper for the church in the presence of worldly institutions if you accept these modifications the community will consist of two distinct classes the married and the celibate both legitimate but the last preferred what will become of communism after these modifications he now proceeds may be defined thus one we shall hold our property and business in common as now two we shall live together in a common household and eat at a common table as now three we shall have a common children's department as now four we shall have our daily evening meetings and all of our present means of moral and spiritual improvement surely here is communism enough to hold us together and inspire us with heroism for a new career with the breeze of general goodwill in our favour which even professor mears has promised us on the condition of our giving up the immoral features of our system what new wonders of success may we not hope for in the years to come for my part i think we have great cause to be thankful for the toleration which has so long been accorded to our audacious experiment especially are we indebted to the authorities and people of our immediate neighbourhood for kindness and protection it will be a great and gracious thing for us to relieve them at last of the burden of our unpopularity and show the world that christian communism has self-control and flexibility enough to live and flourish without complex marriage it must not be supposed from the tone of the preamble and appendix of this communication that noise was arguing with an unwilling community to secure if possible from it action to which it was indisposed 
he was really yielding to what had become the general demand of the community but in doing so supplying them with a plausible account of their action such as would as far as possible save their and his susceptibilities the action of the community on this proposal was so immediate as to appear eager the same number of the american socialist which prints the proposal prints also this action the above measure was considered by the Oneida community in full assembly, August 26, 1879, and its propositions accepted, and it is to be understood that from the present date the community will consist of two classes of members, namely celibates, or those who prefer to live a life of sexual abstinence, and the married, who practice only the sexual freedom which strict monogamy allows. The community will now look for the sympathy and encouragement which have been so liberally promised in case this change should ever be made. By this action, naturally, the bottom was knocked out of the agitation against the community. That agitation was directed solely against its immoral features, and these were now abandoned. But the bottom, haply, was by it knocked out of the community also. It was precisely in its system of complex marriage that the coherence of the community existed, that was the cement which held it together. That gone, everything was gone. If noise cherished any real expectation that the community would seek to prolong its existence on the new social platform which he outlined for it, he was quickly undeceived. No celibacy for it. Before the close of the year, in addition to those cases in which there was a resumption of former marriage relations, there were twenty marriages in the community, and the chronicler adds, the work continued apace, and in a few years scarcely half a dozen remained unmarried. And no more communism for it. The change here was scarcely more difficult to manage, and was no less decisively carried through. By the end of the year 1880 all communistic features had been eliminated, and the community had become an ordinary joint-stock company, carrying on as such the large business enterprises which had been developed noise himself writing in eighteen eighty five enumerates for us the steps in the process by which his life work was undone on the twentieth of august eighteen seventy nine i proposed that the practice of complex marriage be given up on the twenty sixth my proposition was adopted by the community unanimously on the twenty eighth it was published to the world and was received by the press generally with commendation from that time the proposal of a general change from communism to private ownership and joint stock began to be agitated in the oneida community it was discussed carefully and peaceably and after sixteen months of study and preparation of details communism of property was given up as complex marriage had been before it and on the first of january eighteen eighty one the joint stock company called the oneida community limited took the place of the oneida community there were naturally some in so large a community who regretted this final change and would fain have preserved if not a completely communistic organization yet as many communistic features in their organization as possible but there seems to have been no doubt either in the sentiment of the community at large or in the minds of their responsible leaders that this was a case in which it is the first step that counts and that the abandonment of complex marriage was in fact the abandonment of communism and should be acted on as such in this they were undoubtedly right. It was, in point of fact, a part of their most intimate experience through a generation of communistic living that, while the obnoxious mine and thine continue valid in the most intimate relation of life, it is folly to speak of their abolition elsewhere. But, though we may justly say that the experience of the Oneida community provides an empirical demonstration of the theoretically obvious proposition that communism cannot exist apart from the aid of complex marriage, with all its accompaniments and consequences, 
it by no means follows that permanency can be secured to it merely by this outrage in the deepest instincts of human nature there are other instincts of human nature also which communism outrages and on which all attempts to establish a communistic society must ultimately be wrecked property itself for example upon which communism makes its most immediate assault is just as much a law of nature or let us say a law of god is just as much an ineradicable instinct of man as marriage with which it is indeed inextricably involved goldwin smith in an illuminating page instructs us to think of property not as an institution of human society but as a fundamental condition of human life a state of things in which a man would not think that what he had made for himself was his own he remarks is unknown to experience and beyond the range of our conceptions the economical value of property may arise from the circumstance that it is the only known motive for production but the right of property does not rest on this consideration of expediency but is intrinsic in the individual's right to himself this right he can never yield and all attempts at communism which are at bottom only attempts to deprive men of their ineradicable rights to themselves and the fruits of their own activities are bound to break to pieces in the end on these primeval instincts of the race the persistence of the oneida community for a generation suggests nothing to the contrary it was not a self-subsisting communistic state economically considered it was only a limited commercial association pooling its earnings and living parasitically on the surrounding community it not only recruited itself steadily from outside but it depended wholly on the wider community in which it was insisted for all the necessities of living police protection social intercourse trade distribution peace and opportunity to labour more it obtained the raw material for its industries from outside it found the market for its product outside it even came as it grew prosperous to draw a large part of its labour by which its product was made from outside it became in fact in principle only an employer manufacturing concern whose earnings were enjoyed in common by the owners instead of divided in this ratio or another among them in severalty when the time came to convert it into a joint-stock company nothing could have been easier its six hundred thousand dollars of invested capital needed merely to be distributed equitably in stock among the owners and the thing was done it was noise's contention that religion is the only foundation on which a stable communism can be reared he does not seem to have been very exigent as to what the nature of this religion should be the role which he assigned to it in his speculations was to chasten and discipline the spirit for the hardships and restrictions demanded by community life what has wrecked the communistic societies which have sprung up so luxuriantly in america has been largely he says the influx into them of idle selfish designing men general depravity he says is according to the universal testimony of experience the villain of the whole story a truth much more profound than apparently he was intending to express may it not be he asks that the tests of earnest religion are just what are needed to keep a discrimination between noble and lofty souls and the scamps the function he wished religion to serve thus was to act as a sieve to strain out the unfit and a great variety of religions might serve this purpose if only they were earnestly held if a community could be formed of earnestly religious men only he thought there might be some hope of its members living in harmony he contended now that these speculative views had been verified in practice looking over the whole list of communistic experiments in america he singles out only those which have shown unusual vitality 
there are only eight of them, all the rest have quickly died, these only have lived. And now, says Noyes, the one feature which distinguishes these communities from the transitory sort is their religion, which in every case is of the earnest kind which comes by recognized afflatus and controls all external arrangements. He wishes to draw the induction that it is religion and religion alone which makes communism possible. Goldwyn Smith in criticism remarks that while it is true that all the communities thus singled out by noise were religious, yet the list thus singled out does not include all the communities which were religious. Others were religious too and died. And he might have added, had he written a little later, that these eight have died too, for they are now all dead except the Shakers who have become moribund, and the Ephrata and Oneida communities which survive only in the changed form of joint-stock companies. Goldwyn Smith does add one other remark which is very much to the point. All eight of Noyes's enduring communistic societies had one other thing in common besides religion, though Noyes does not note it. They all rejected marriage, whereby, Smith explains, in the first place they were exempted from the disuniting influence of the separate family, and in the second place they were enabled to accumulate wealth in a way which would be impossible if they had children to maintain. Some of them were strict celibates, and the others discouraged marriage, and it is much more probable that what enabled them to endure longer than such experiments have ordinarily done was this complete or partial elimination of the particular obstacle that stands most in the way of communistic practice, rather than their religion, except so far, of course, as it was from their religion that they derived the sanction for their misprision of marriage. It was this function, as we have seen, that Noyes assigned to religion in his own communistic experiment. He was insistent, no doubt, that putting first things first, religion was first with him. His communism was not mere communism standing on the ordinary platform of communism, it was Bible communism, and as such very distinct from the communism, for example, of the infidels and Owenites of twenty years ago. God was a party to their communism. Their doctrine is that of community, not merely or chiefly with each other, but with God. God as creator is owner of all. Every loyal citizen is joint owner with God of all things. But he was not content with laying such a general religious foundation as this for their structure. He shaped his religious teaching so as to provide a particular religious sanction precisely for that community in wives which he rightly saw was the prime essential to the stability of any communistic establishment. End of John Humphrey Noyes and his Bible Communists The Structure by B.B. B. Warfield